Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is another tiers episode with Matt Moore, and different criteria for this one. I really enjoyed it. Allowed us to think about the league post-deadline in a very different way. I'll let Matt explain it, which he does at the outset, and partially because of that and partially because we had a lot that we wanted to discuss. Runs a little longer than usual, about an hour 20 here, and a lot of really good stuff, as it always is with Matt. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited to do it. It's a, a new world a little bit, so I'm I'm excited to get into kind of reframing everything. It is a challenging thing, and there, like I, I talk a lot about how I love discovery. Like that's one of my favorite things about our job, and it's unusual to have this much to figure out at this point in the season. Like we're going to be seeing some stuff. Like the next the next few weeks, in some ways, are kind of like the beginning of the season. Yeah, Seth Part now is very big on this about um, the idea of basically just like you got to throw everything from the regular season out at this point because so much has changed. There's been there was so much basically all of December was COVID racked. And so you kind of have to start reestablishing things. That's a big challenge, not only, I think, in just trying to analyze the league and understand it, but, you know, from my job perspective on betting. Oh, yeah. I got to like the Celtics and Raptors. I just don't know how much of the what's been the season up till now matters. Like they're just entirely different creatures. And, you know, the Celtics made major trades. The Raptors made only one very small one. So um, there's a lot, I think, that we're going to see very – I always say that teams are usually three different teams throughout the course of a season. But I I don't think I was necessarily uh, ever expecting it to be this radical of how different so many teams are going to have been from the start of the season until the end. That also made the criteria that you chose particularly compelling for me. I liked that I I was able to do it more. I like I went more with my gut than with a lot of research, but I honestly think that it makes sense to think like I did it more conceptually and and I'll get into how I how I did my tears as we go through it, but do you want to walk people through what you what you chose for us? So I did closest to championship caliber. So I didn't want to do it just for the season, right? Because, you know, you can look at the Suns and just be like, well, look out. Um, but overall title chance over the next three years. Like, this gives us an idea of how close are you? Like, you, you might be able to shoot the moon one year. And I think that that changes kind of um, the perception of where you are. Because I think a lot of teams are specifically impacted this season. And that, I think, changes a little bit of how prepared they are um, for whatever it is that they're facing. Like, to me, I think that the interesting thing about this is if you open the window and you go like, all right, how close are you? Like, all right, even if you don't win this year, I don't think you, you, you can't do it this year. Can you have that season where everything clicks together and you find it and you're good? How close are you to that level for where you need to be? Exactly. And I will say at the outset that I consider championship contention roughly being one of the three or four best, I would say, playoff teams in the league if you see a difference. And there are certain situations where I really do. And as a practical consideration, I've written about this over the years. I actually want to do a lot more on this over the next little while. Overwhelmingly, championship teams have truly elite players on it. And that would be, so I I had a stat years ago about like, there had only been a few teams in the last 20 years that had won a championship without a player who had already won a regular season MVP award. And now the regular season and playoffs have diverged since that point, but it's still generally true. You can, you know, and the idea, the idea that I said with already won, the idea there was that it's not a, then it's not a lagging thing. It's not like, oh, they won, they, they won the title and then the player got some shine. But that also fits the general idea that put, that players and teams typically succeed in the regular season before they succeed in the playoffs to different 
different evolution, Giannis. Again, a great example there. So I will, in this exercise, I will reward teams and players that I think have that equity of being the best player in a championship, in a high-level series against, you know, the three or four best teams in the league. Because generally speaking, it's really hard to not make it. And it's interesting that, like, one of the quote-unquote exceptions to that would be the 2019 Raptors, who are kind of an exception that proves the rule because Kawhi Leonard was that caliber player, even if he's never won a regular right. season MVP. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you took that approach because I've, I've just been thinking a lot about this because I wrote a lot on, the, on obviously, like most of us did, the, the Nets trade yesterday. And I just keep coming back to, like, if you look at the top of, of my ranking, you're going to find institutional strength. Like, that to sure. me, I honestly... Yeah, I consider that too. Y- you got to have the star, right? So like, there are really great institutional teams that are much lower on the on the list. Like, talent does, does matter, you're right, to, to such a high degree. But we'll get into kind of why, but the Nets in particular to me, like, the Nets are not in my tier one. We'll just They're start not right in there. mine the Nets, either. The Nets are not in my tier one. And the reason is, I do not have faith in their institutional strength. I do not have confidence in their in their organizational basketball approach. I do not trust it. And I cannot put them top tier because of that. The way that I will describe that is there's a there's a fundamental question, which is, are you there? And then the second part of that is, and it's a decision tree. And then if you're there, great. Then that that's my tier one. You know, we'll get there. It's like, you're already there. Okay, easy, easy peasy. T- the second question is... Is it reasonable for you to get there? And do I trust the people empowered to do that to get you there? And so that's where the institutional strength. Are you well coached? Are you well general managed? Do you have the resources to add the things that you need if you're not there? And those are key questions. And so that'll factor in. Actually, for me, that factors in more at the bottom tiers for me than for the top. So if you have a player, maybe you have one or two guys that's like, oh, they definitely make sense. Maybe they have room to grow. And this isn't over 10 years. This is over like three, maybe maybe four years. So you can shift the roster somewhat. But if you have... If you have a star, then that's easier. And if you don't have a star, is there a way for you to to retool your team? Is there a way to get into that mix? Kind of like you could argue the way the Suns did. Like the Suns would not have been in tier one three years ago, but they have made moves. So it's like, is there a path? And But we will start with tier one, which are to me teams that don't need to have a path because they're already there. Yeah, good to go, right? That's that was my you mentioned the, the the phrase good to go. That's that's why I've called tier one is is good to go. Um, these are teams that I think have the talent, and you have to extra, again over the next three years, which I think is uh, why I, I threw that in there. Um, I it kind of twisted a little bit of of how I considered it, and it opened up this tier. I I think if if we did this for this year, Danny, mm-hmm. like we just have to put the Suns one, and there's got to be a gap. We just do like they deserve that. They've right? been they've been that good, and yeah, and importantly. Western defending Western Conference champion, best record in the league, best net rating in the league, wide gap, and no like discernible major injuries, knock on wood for them. Like they deserve to be in their own tier. But if we do over the next three years, there's teams I think that can have those types of seasons. The Suns have been fascinating for me this year. Just I've asked this question of everyone, and I would love to get your thoughts while we're here about whether you would define Phoenix as a juggernaut? I would define them as something close to a regular season juggernaut. I think they have so many different things that they do well, and there are so few things that they do poorly that they are not the they're not doing it the same way that the most talented Heat teams or the most talented Warriors teams did. But part of what makes 
this season so impressive is that it hasn't been smooth sailing for them in terms of player availability and everything else. Like, I mean, yep. they've they've had absences for Aiton and for Booker and really not Chris Paul, but like, I mean, they've they've had guys they've had guys out. They've had key support players. You know, like the availability and play of Cameron Payne has been a like a a, a subplot for them. They've been able. Thank, thank you, Chris Paul, for making all of these centers more viable than they would be otherwise. I mean, Aiden's right. a good player, but Biombo and and JaVale, of course. So I, I think that for for the regular season, yes, I, I think you could say that they are that level of team. For the playoffs, I kind of need to see it a little bit more. The yeah. idea of are they... How undeniable are they, both on offense and defense? I'm not quite there yet. And that does tie in more with, you know, like elite talent and adjustments and everything else. And they didn't do really that much wrong. Like, you know, when you think about last year, it's like they they did, to me, they lost to a superior team. But they also didn't face, other than if you can argue the Bucks, they didn't really take that many other teams' best pitch. And generally speaking, for me to call a team a juggernaut, they need to do stuff like the Warriors did or like the Heat did, where there was another really good team. They got that other team at pretty close to full strength and beat them. Yeah. And, you know, you could t- the the Warriors got lucky a couple times with that, like Kawhi's injury and everything else, but they still faced some damn good teams, pretty damn healthy, and, and got through it. The Heat, of course, with the Spurs. And you could go throughout the years, you know, like those Lakers and Bulls teams and everything else. So to me, they haven't reached that level, but it might be that the only reason they haven't is because they haven't had the opportunity. Yeah. And that's been, uh, there's been a lot of comparisons of the Suns team to the 2014 Spurs, which, you know, on, on one level, it's like, okay, I can kind of see it. And on another level, I'm like, well, all right, look, the Spurs is a, as an organization won four titles. Like there's, you know, they have, they, they had such a built in experience chest to rely on that. I'm, I don't want to put them on that I level, mean, but the crucible, the, the crucible that those, that those players in that organization had experienced yeah. is not replicated by the Suns team. They're individual players that have been through a lot but the and but like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges have played in four playoff series in their entire careers yep it's not the same thing so I've got I I've I have a pretty broad I've got five teams that I have I I have four okay so I've got five teams that I think if you told me they won a title in the next three years I would go yeah that checks okay they are the Golden State Warriors the Phoenix Suns the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks the Miami Heat, and the Los Angeles Clippers. The only one of those teams I don't have tier one is the Clippers, and I have them in tier 1.5. I have a second group, just them and the Nuggets, where I said, let's see when healthy, but I'm optimistic. Yeah. And the reason why the Clippers, it's it's something I've talked about a lot with Clay Thompson's injuries, which is the idea of timing here. So Kawhi Leonard, I don't really doubt that he's going to, that he has the capability of coming back and being the player that, you know, like that recovering fully from the injury, I guess is the way I want to put it. However, like Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, he got injured at the end of his age 29 season. And let's assume he misses this whole year close to it. His next full season is his age 31 season. There is often a decline that comes there. And even though Kawhi has built up his skill base and he's incredibly physically strong and all these other things, there is a chance that he's just that if even if he had been 100% healthy from 29 to 31, that he just wouldn't be the same player. And I don't mean like 75% Kawhi. I mean like 90% Kawhi. And that's still a damn good player. But is that the best player in a series against Giannis? I don't know. So I have them. And then the Nuggets, I think, are interesting here, too, because we 
as, as much as the lack of the of the Nets group playing together, that group, it'd be good to have a shorthand for them eventually, the Kyrie, Harden, KD, we have had even less of a glimpse of that Nuggets team, but there is an easy sales pitch for me that they are championship caliber. Yeah, and I think I put them one tier below, and the reason I, I basically did was I think MPJ's injury history causes. Oh such, yeah, that's that's the that's the that's the pause for me too. Like that's the and that's the gap between the Clippers and the Nuggets is I'm like basically what it boils down to is we were talking after the Clippers made the trade for Powell and Covington over an action. We were like, should the Clippers be the title favorite next year? Just based off of track record, performance, overall strength, coaching, getting Kawhi and PG back, and then the trades that they've made because they have 700,000 wings. Um, all that can switch, all that can shoot, all that can deliver in playoff series. And we were like, you know, that's, that is probably like where we're at going in, into the summer. Regardless of who wins the title next year, we're going to be looking at Clippers futures immediately based off of the moves that they made with a long-term kind of – and, you know, look, Kawhi makes a miraculous recovery for the first time ever in his career and comes back early. Like if you told me that the Clippers show up in the, in the play-in and it's Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and this roster, all of a sudden I'm like – uh, like, can they can they win the title this year? Because that's still a really good team. Um, and then next year the window is so high versus the Nuggets. It's so hard to see them being able to get guys back up to speed this season, um, especially with the fact that they just haven't been able to. Like, a lot of it for me is the fact that this this season doesn't seem doable. And I bet on them to win the title this year before the MPJ injury and and PJ Dozier and everything else. But the injuries have required so much from the rest of the roster. So the uh, the idea is that the gas tank is just too depleted and yeah. they, can't, they can't stop at a station in yeah. time. That, that's a but reasonable the, argument. But if you said – but if we took out this season and I said, okay, not this season but the next three years after this season, then I would have Nuggets Tier 1 because Jokic is that level. Murray will be – beyond words better by the time that August rolls around. Um, MPJ, I will say, like, a lot, lot, of, lot of boy, he looks good around the Nuggets facility with regards to MPJ, where he's at right now. He feels much better. Um, just, he just, the, the level to which he he felt awful before he went out and where he's at now is considerable. Um, so there's a lot more confidence that this isn't going to, now he can always re-injure it, but as of right now, it seems like they're going to get a pretty good version of MPJ back. Um so I think definitely they're at that level. What I think is interesting is the teams that we don't have at this top. Like we have the title favorite, not on this level. We have the team that traded for James Harden yesterday, not at this level. We have a jazz team that's been top four in the West, what, the last four years, not at this level. And I think that that says something very strongly about those teams. Um, I did want, before we move on to tier two, though, I want to get your thoughts on the Miami Heat. The Heat have really impressed me overall. Another team that has weathered some real storms. And those storms aren't necessarily predictive. Like, I don't think Omer Yurtsevin is going to be a huge part of their playoff run, should it happen, but they are exceedingly well coached. And they have, I, I'm still a little bit queasy about their half court offense, you know, the, but because the, the, can Jimmy do it against the best of the best? Can, can Lowry create those advantages? They have to kind of play some one way guys. It's just the only way that he can do it. But I'm so impressed with some of their functional depth. The, the key guys are looking good physically when they've been available. And, and also the other kind of key component here for the Heat is that generally speaking, and this is a weird kind of, you could call it sliding 
against the Suns and the Bucks is that I don't see the tippy tippy top of the league right now being quite as insurmountable as it has been at a couple points in the last 10 years. You know, like there isn't a Durant Warriors team out there to me. And maybe we'll see the Suns that way in six months. Entirely possible. I acknowledge the possibility. So I see Miami's flaws maybe more clearly than the other teams on this list. The Warriors' flaws are, are pretty clear too. But the idea that they, what they do, they do so well. And for the Heat, they can take away because of their coaching and their talent. They can take away so much of what you want to do in a way that I think a lot of teams will have trouble. Like, you know, like you could think about a Heat Suns series. What is going to be Phoenix's bread and butter? Because not only is it you have the personnel to execute every scheme and you generally have coaches that can pick the right one, but there are a lot of players, as much as I love what Phoenix does, like, I, I think Chris Paul would have a real tough time if that were a series. Yeah, I I've, I just keep looking at the idea that um, uh, the question of who's going to like the, the finals matchups this year, I think are really fascinating. Yeah, uh, and overall. Like, it, like here's here's the bit. Here's the other basic. I think there is a I think it's likely that if they're healthy, that he'd have the best playoff defense in the NBA. They just don't have that many weak points. And that's with like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero in the rotation. They just don't have that many weak points. Yeah, I think I think you, I think that's probably true. What's interesting is like where, where I really get to with Miami is this question of I, I want to see Heat Bucks three, right? Where we have the debacle in the bubble and then we have the absolute beatdown last year. And one thing that I've noted is like, you know, it was really bit good in that series for the, the Bucks. Brent Forbes, you know, he's not there anymore. Brent Forbes. Like, this Bucks team isn't quite that team from last year. P.J. Tucker's gone. Dante DiVincenzo's now gone. He played three games in that series before getting injured. Um, Brent's gone, right? So, like, these questions... And the, the, I also... On top of, like, Lowry was their guy and they wanted him for a bunch of reasons, just the fact that Lowry has experience beating Milwaukee and being like a counter for for Giannis and that play style he he also like Lowry in it's funny because you think about what the Bucks do well offensively and Lowry isn't a natural counter except that he does everything else well on defense too yeah and you could see him plugging some of the gaps Drew and Chris Middleton having worse series than they have at other points in time and it just not working as well the other point with the Bucks and like this the the argument for them is very very easy but the argument against I mean I'm just not totally sure that they have that they have all the options they need and I don't know how they can get them like getting Serge Ibaka if he's healthy hell yeah like if, if he's healthy there but they have like there it seems like Grayson Allen Pat Connaughton or both but probably just one are intended to be in their closing five and I'm not there yeah me neither I'm not there what's your tier two so my I, I had a tier 1.5 which is the Clippers and the Nuggets I see them as a different thing because I would have them in tier one if I was confident that their players were recovering fully so I see that as a separate thing and that's that's so great by the way that you know with you having four in the top that if healthy you think there's a strong possibility that there are six teams that could win a title over the next three years that's sure. so good for the league it's fantastic for the league and there are and so my tier what i consider my tier two like the real tier two this gets i i ended up i feel uncomfortable with how much ground i'm covering but i didn't know how what sometimes what i do is i write it out and then i just look at it and i'm like do i need to split this up and i kind of feel like i should have but i also didn't know like, i knew where to draw the line but i wasn't sure if it was a full tier so the way i described it is there is a path or rationale. And so the rationale is they could potentially be this good or near it already. And so they don't have to improve as much. There is a path is there is a reason to believe that they might not be there now, but there's a reason to believe that they can get there over the next year or two. This tier 
ended up being eight teams. Whoa! (laughs) And I'm not saying their path is equal in any way, shape, or form, but I I think it's the idea that because of the variance right now that I'm opened up, and the last two I feel a little bit dicier about than the others, but anyway. Okay, so we'll start at the top of it, which is the Nets and the Sixers. And both of those teams have players that could be the best player in the playoffs, Durant and Joel Embiid. Like that is a, it is a distinct possibility for both of those gentlemen. And the idea that while I am concerned about some of their fit and some of their, like some of their challenges, I see how I could be wrong. Like that's the, you know, like the, that's the kind of the elephant in the room is like, yeah, I'm skeptical about the Harden and Bead fit defensively. I think a lot of these support players for both of these teams don't make sense with what they are now. Like, I think it might take an offseason to figure, like, to shake all these things loose and swap similarly talented players who just make more sense. You brought up the Bryn Forbes thing. Like, that's sort of a sort of a move. Like, I think Tobias Harris is a really bad fit for the current Sixers because he doesn't need to do that much. And he's, I mean, he's also overpaid and all that. That's a different problem. And then with the Nets, I'm still trying to figure out how everything's going to function. I mean, beyond the just obvious Kyrie Irving of it all, I like KD so amazing, but like, okay, what is your bread and butter? Is your bread and butter Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving offensively? Is it Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving isolations? Is it those guys in pick and roll? So Ben Simmons is just standing somewhere. Is it, <laughs> is it Simmons Durant stuff? Cause teams are going to switch it. But I mean, Kevin Durant, if most teams don't have two good defenders to, to handle that, are they just going to double? Like there's, there's a lot of, I mean, actually, if you're using Durant as the screener, you can't really double the screener. It'd be the funniest thing in the world, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so for both of them, it's I igno- basically when a team has a high enough theoretical ceiling, even if I don't see it, I will acknowledge it. Yeah, and I think for me, um, the Sixers, I don't worry about the the organizational stuff. Like, they have a pretty sound. Like, they've built something there. I'm worried about Doc as a playoff coach. Yeah, that 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 does factor in. I think the coaching gap here is significant with those two teams. Um I think a lot of it for me, and like I, I kind of talked about this, I just don't know. <laughs> I have a hard time with the Nets on a, on a ph- philosophical level, where, and I've had this problem since the beginning. I, I applaud on one level what they've tried to do, which is the team really honestly is built around like Katie and Kyrie trying to build something entirely player driven. Like it is the furthest extrapolation of player empowerment to me. Because, and if you ask like, well, how do you, how do you mean? And I'm like, okay, do you think that the Nets were the ones that were like, we should fire Kenny Atkinson for and hire Steve Nash, who they've described as a consultant? Do you think that the that Sean Marks was like, you know what we really need to do? We need to trade Jared Allen. That's what we need to do is we need to trade Jared Allen. No, like th- this is their this is their show. And I applaud that. But on the other hand, Kyrie has made it so apparent that he doesn't want to just be focused on a championship. It's like he talks about basketball as art and I want to you know live my freedom and like all these whatever. Like the stuff with Kyrie goes so far beyond just the back stuff. Right. Like the back stuff, God willing, won't be an issue next year or the year after. Please, Lord. Um, that won't be as much of a problem in, in future seasons. But I still don't really. Tr- and, and you look at this roster and there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of concern for it. Like there doesn't seem to be anybody being like, you know, we really do need some actual front court rim protection like we need a capable defender in the front court because asking nick claxton and blake griffin to do what we've asked them is a lot and you could say like well they got andre drummond and i would say yeah they got andre drummond um so i have questions there the sixers i think more are just about uh the Sixers probably are, are closer to tier one, I think, than the Nets. And the reason I say that is I, I have a lot of faith that Maury's going to go and be like, okay, I got Harden, I got Embiid, I've got Tybel, I've got 
Maxi, what do I need to build around those guys? Like, what else does this team need? And then make the, the marginal moves where he is really good. Like, he takes these big swings to get the superstars because those are the hard ones. He's shown that he can win the margins pretty easily. Like, this is a big de- gap between me and the, the Sixers and the Nets to me. Is like, I trust the Sixers' marginal stuff a lot more than I trust the Nets' marginal stuff. The Nets have the best player. If you, if you uh, For me, the best player in the league is... It's either Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Nikola Jokic. And of those three, if you had made me pick, I'm leaning KD. I just am. KD, KD doesn't have, like, he can do his thing against anybody, and you can't really exploit him in the ways that you can. The other two guys, you can argue that the, the things they do are in some ways better, as strange yeah. as that is for how great Kevin Durant is. But you can, you like, it's it's the idea of the strength of your strengths versus the strengths of your weaknesses. Yeah. Like, Kevin Durant, I mean, yeah, he doesn't give a crap and help defense most of the time at this point in his career, but what are you going to do about that? Like, you know, like, that's not the same kind of thing as, oh, in make them shoot in Giannis's case and some of the, you know, you can't form a wall in the same way that you used to be able to. His passing has gotten so much better, but he's not, he's not perfect. And, you know, the, the, that's, and, and for Jokic, unbelievable offensive player. He has no offensive weaknesses, which is so cool. And the fact that we have a seven footer who can do everything and has no offensive weaknesses is probably underappreciated collectively by yeah. how, how bananas that is that we have a player and it's and part of that's because he's not the most visibly athletic like the idea yeah. that and, and i think that's a triumph of modern basketball is that Jokic is this unbelievable i think he would have been great in any era but we're in a we're in a really good place for him but yeah i agree with you all all things equal i would i would take kd in a series over the other two so they're there, but all the marginal stuff, may, like th- this is really what it comes down to. And this is how we're kind of evaluating it from a betting perspective. If you want to bet on the Nets, what you basically have to say is they have Kevin Durant and I don't think anything else matters. Or you could say like they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie's going to do enough and nothing else matters. Or you could look at it and say like, no, the playoffs really, the playoffs have a bunch of really great players and other teams have more really great players. And the margins of those teams are way better than what's on the Nets. Well, and, and um, on, on that point, there is a really, fascinating challenge in terms of evaluation because you brought up the like the organizational situation is a big part of this and I, I fully agree with you I don't think we have evidence yet that Sean Marks and Steve Nash are bad at their jobs but I do not think we have sufficient evidence to be confident that they are good at their jobs whereas we have that evidence for Daryl Morey overall he has made some mistakes every general manager has but he has done a really good job doing something very specific two things that are very specific that will matter more to these Sixers than the last Sixers, which is finding players that can help more on the margins and incremental moves that make your team better. Like those are two parts of the Houston Rockets story that, you know, like get finding these players that made sense with their vision, getting guys on cheap contracts that can actually help your team. Those things he's already done in his career. And with Marks, we haven't seen the development of those kinds of guys. I mean, the Nick Claxton story is weird. Like, I mean, he also missed a bunch of time in the middle of the season, but they haven't, we haven't seen like them just nail a couple of draft picks or find some undrafted dudes that are in their top eight. Like that hasn't, those things haven't happened yet. They could, but he hasn't had to do that yet. And so when a team isn't there, that's the whole idea of how do they get there. And so I think that's a fair distinction to make. Uh, The other two teams, I only have four. Okay. In my tier two. Um, So I've got Sixers and Nets. Sure. And then I've got the Nuggets based off of. um, The other thing I would probably say beyond just the MPJ injury as being a differentiator uh, is they are cap strapped given that they've distributed so much money to four players rather than two. Right. So they're Mm -hmm. not just like top guys like they they and their market like they're 
bar is pretty tight. And that, you saw that at the deadline. They wanted to improve, and they couldn't because they just didn't have the assets. Right. Draft, they draft well, and that may be their saving grace, but get, I think they're... And then, look, I got the Utah Jazz. Okay. Um, they're, in, they're in my tier as well. And... <sighs> It's tough because I, I think it's more likely. Let me put it this way: I think there are equal chances that the Jazz win the title in the next three years, as they completely have to blow it up. And there may be a middle ground where they they make what's considered to be a blowing up or a radical change, and that's what leads to a title. They are they are at such a precipice, and they are trying to avoid it so hard, which I understand because it's fraught. Trying to get return, like if you just look at it the way that I do, and just say I do not believe you can win with Donovan Mitchell and and Rudy Gobert. And it's not the same as like Damian Lillard and use of Nurkic where there's a specific dynamic there that causes the problem <clears throat> because, you know, Rudy is obviously so much better than, than Nurkic and um, Dame is a level above Donovan. I think the problem really is that and they've fought with this all year. Do you believe in the system or do you need to change it? And the tension between those guys keeps ratcheting up. And so I've like I've asked this question a lot and I've asked people around the league about it. You know, which route would you take? Would you try and keep Donovan, which is what ownership has indicated is the number one priority, and basically say, like, we believe in Donovan, and even though it kills us, we're going to move Rudy and try and get more versatile in defensive sets? Or do you go the other way and go, you know what, Donovan's probably going to want to leave anyway because he's going to want to market. We're going to go the Darren Williams route. We're going to get ahead of it. And we're going to trade him and try and get the right fit for the guy that we can win with Rudy Gobert. The guy who has chosen to be here in a different way than Donovan Mitchell has. It's... A really hard question to answer. I, I Like you said, I think a big part of it is what does Donovan Mitchell want? Because, and you brought up the idea of Darren Williams. I actually think the Darren Williams parallel is Gobert, where I worry about how his game is going to age. He's unbelievable right now. If a team thinks that Gobert is going to be this guy for the next four years and is willing to compensate you for that, you consider it. I'm not saying you necessarily do it. You consider it. The bigger challenge for me with putting Utah in this tier, though I did, is... It's actually the exact opposite of the Lakers, which is interesting. I think of those teams at this point with how bizarre things have been in Lakerland for the last few weeks, where for Utah, okay, you let's say you transport them to the second round. They're theoretically going to be facing three very good teams that likely succeed in different ways. Do I think that this iteration of the Jazz, especially considering how little room they have for improvement internal or external because of all the money they're spending and because they've traded all these draft picks and because their players are generally older, they don't have a lot of guys that are young. Do I think they can make it through those three series assuming equal health? And I think there's a chance, but I don't like that chance. Like yeah. that that that's the that's the part of it. Whereas for the Lakers, if you transported them to the second round, it's like, okay, you have two damn good players. You have two even though the you know, this has been a bad year for AD and LeBron, you still wonder where the wheels are gonna fall off. Like I, I'm more I'm more open to his basketball mortality now than I was a year ago. And I think the rest of the roster doesn't make sense. I think Rob Polinka has done a terrible job understanding what this team did well when they won the championship. But if you transported them there, I'd be like, okay, that means maybe AD is back to being the best defensive player in the playoffs like he was two years ago. Maybe he's actually making the mid-rangers that he somehow did in the bubble. But so it's like this weird thing. But I have so much less faith that the Lakers get there this year, next year, beyond because their roster is worse. They're, I don't like, I don't, I like Frank Vogel's coach. I think he's getting a bum rap with all the things that are going on there. But Quinn Snyder is a better coach than he is. Like, big whoop, you're a worse coach than one of the five best coaches in the NBA. Right. And, and, and I also don't have any faith in their organization whatsoever for a 
billion obvious reasons. So it's like, I'm not willing to sell all the way on the Lakers yet, but I understand why. And I think the really fertile ground for conversation is, so the other teams that I have in this area, and they're all teams that I do not consider championship caliber right now, but I can see a path clearer than everyone else for how they get there. And the first one of those is the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm. The Grizzlies, it is very unusual for a small player to be the best player in the championship team. I don't think Ja is there yet, but he's incredible. And the Grizzlies have some of the other constituent elements. Like if you want to compare it to like some of the Pistons teams and all that, where they have a lot of depth, they have guys that can still scale up. And then the other big part that the Grizzlies have which it would have been fun if they had maximized at the deadline, but I didn't expect them to, is they actually have some they have some chips to put in. And I don't know if Zach Kleiman wants to do that this offseason, if he wants to do that next deadline, or whenever it's going to be. They have some draft picks, they have some spending power, they have some depth that they could, you know, consolidation trades generally don't happen. And, I, and I'm not saying that's how the Grizzlies are going to do it, because that is a bet that will always fail. But there are ways for them to upgrade. The challenges are, A, they're not there yet, so it's harder to get there. B, it is so much harder for the Memphis NBA team to get those players, you know, like, oh, great, they have 20 million in cap space. What are they going to do with that? You know, practically speaking, you don't generally see players prioritize that, even though I wish they did more often. But why Memphis is here for me is the the potential for internal improvement. Like, they just have a lot of guys that I like. I think they're well coached. I think they're well run. And Kleiman and the group have made some real mistakes, but the mistakes they've made, I kind of understood. Like the Justice Winslow thing, it was it was wrong. You know, like it, did, it didn't work out because Justice Winslow wasn't healthy and everything else, but it's like they identified a need, they went after it, they sacrificed very specific things for it, and so you have that there. Uh, let's, let's do that and then I'll say the other ones. I have such a hard time with Memphis. I have such a hard time with Memphis, and I love this team, and they're the most fun team in the league, and everyone loves watching them, and Jaws is so spectacular, and they're just so much – they're just so enjoyable. My problem is when you look under the hood, and and I, I kind of hate that I'm at a point in my career where that's a lot of like what my job is, is you know there's so many that are just like the narrative and how great the story is and you know this team and how much fun and like narr- you know kind of chronicling that. And like my job is to get under the hood and, and kind of look at like, okay, what are they? Like what, what are they really? And the reality is that team, this team ranks 21st per possession in transition offense, and they rank 24th in half-court offense. Uh, defensively, they're much better. They're 11th in transition and 12th in half-court. But mm-hmm. the, the defense is legit after a rough start to the season. They are the re- one of the reasons they are so much fun is that they are such chaos. They are just chaos bottled. I've compared this team, and Bontemps did this the other day on uh, one of the Hoop Collectives, and and I've been making this comparison for a couple months too. Tim and I often have the same kind of thoughts. Um, I, I just look at this Grizzlies team, and it screams 2011 Thunder to me. And I can buy that. Yeah, you know, look, John ja Morant's not Kevin Durant. We knew Kevin Durant was going to be a Hall of Famer. Like I saw him in Texas, and was like, that guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, and Jaron is not Russ, and Desmond is not Harden, right? Uh, though there are some interesting parallels there. But just the young, chaotic, overwhelm you in waves, so explosive with a good defense. And there's there's the other component, which is the the thing that I found most interesting. When you said it, that that connected with me is team that is very good, but you also know that they haven't finished figuring it out yet. Yeah, and that is extremely unusual. Like that. And- that is a it's it's a it's an alchemy that is temporary but also extremely exciting. And the problem I have is you get these guys in a playoff series when it's possession by possession and it's about execution and what happens. And, and, and especially against teams where 
their energy and their kind of like defensive talent are more matched. Like yeah. they're they could end up being a team that is m- like a much better eighty two game team than a sixteen. Yeah, so I, that's I like, think that's distinctly possible. I, I have them a level back. I actually right. <laughs> a very fascinating contrast. I have them level three, tier three with it's just two teams and it's the Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Lakers, which I would not expect <laughs> to compare those two. But that's like where I'm at. Where you know the Grizzlies are on the way up. But I can see them figuring out a way to get there um, just with experience and maybe cashing in those moves. And the Lakers are on the way down, but I can see them getting there just by sheer force of we have LeBron and AD. And if we just figure out the right pieces and just make the right combination, we'll be right back. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, We don't have to spend as much time unless you want to jump into the other teams that I have in this group, which I feel less firm about. Next, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ooh. And the argument here is I think there's a chance that over the next two years, Evan Mobley is the best defensive player in the NBA. Yeah. And if that's the case, if he can reach that level that quickly, I'm not sold on their offense all the way yet. I think they need I think they need some more stuff. But if if Basically, they are in another extremely young team that is doing a lot, and I think most of it is sustainable. And generally speaking, so like, let's go through some of their ages. Garland, age 22 season. Mobley, age 20 season. Allen, age 23 season. Okoro, 21. Markkanen, 24. Sexton, we'll see what he is, if he's even on the team, 23. Levert, 27. So those are all players who most of them are doing extremely well right now, who the general arc here is that players that good, that young, and this isn't like as good as Luca is or anything like that, generally get a lot better. And they don't have as much room for external improvement, which makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm not the biggest fan of Kobe Altman overall, though he has done some things that I liked and didn't like at the time and worked out much better than I expected. Also done some that turned out worse than he thought. So I, I, I think there's an idea that I don't think Garland is like a top five player in the league, but if Mobley's top 10 and Garland's top 20 and Allen is Jared Allen, that they're just in the mix. Like that's it, it's it's there's a path for me. That's what it is. I just looked this up because I was curious about um, what the Spurs looked like in 2000 and uh, or in 1999. I wanted to see like what what, what were their odds. And they they were not the title favorite. Um, that was actually the Lakers at plus 300, obviously with Shaq. Sure. Um, yeah, the Pacers at plus 450. Five at four and a half to one, but the the Spurs were right there at four and a half to one. In part because they still had um, Dave Robinson, right? So they had that they had a, a team that was ready to win. Then I'm just trying to figure out, like, I really am trying to trying to understand, like, if the Cavaliers made the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm I'm asking myself now if that happens, am I going to feel like you should have seen that coming, right? Like, because I can't see it right now. I just look at it. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, Garland's. I love Garland this year. I like Garland last year, and I think he's been even better this year. He's been so awesome. Mobley I, is just he's one of my my most fun players to watch in the league. There's so many great rookies this year. Herb Jones, by the way. Oh yeah. Um, oh baby. There's so many great, great rookies. And yeah, I'm just like, but come on. Like, no, like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, uh, Karis LeVert with Chetty Osman? Like, no. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. Like, this it's, is not gonna and this can't work. And and Cleveland, they're they're second in cleaning the glass defensive rating, but they're also they also have the best opponent three point shooting luck in the entire league right now. Yeah. And it's long they have some long two luck as well. So to me it's the idea that their defense is damn good, but it's maybe not this good. So maybe they they're have to hit something like they trade Markinen and a pick and get a like a low floor high upside one of those things where it's like you believe in a guy and nobody else does and everyone else and when they do it you know we grade the trade and we're like i mean i guess 
maybe, but don't know if you got great value on this. And some people hate it because they just don't think that player is good. And then he's just awesome. Like, that's what they need to do. Like, they need, honestly, you know, a good comparison here is the Bulls with Zach Levine, right? Where they bought low on Zach Levine and then just watched him become like an all NBA caliber guard. They need that for like a wing, right? Because I don't think Isaac Okoro is going to get there. So, like, it's, it's a fascinating question. I also am going to love these playoffs because this actually, sh- like, the fact that the Cavs are here shows a lot about what the league looks like this year compared to the last three years. And I, I've, this trend is just baffling to me in that it's changed so quickly. Where in previous years, if you just had a great offense, if you had an elite offense, you were there. Like, you could be considered in the mix. Like, the Blazers, terrible defense, horrible, didn't matter, had so much offense. And now it's like, look, if you can't defend, I don't know that you could be in the conversation. And the Cavs can defend. Now, the question is just going to be like, you know, what does this mean in the playoffs? Like, are you going to be able to score enough? I I could see them being one player away if Mobley does take that trajectory you're talking about. Um, But that's, I mean, that's really fascinating. I have them one, two, three. I have have them tier four. Okay. So I have them tier four. And I'm I'm probably jumping, I'm putting the cart before the horse. I'm just Mm -hmm. don't want to put, I just don't want to be, have the horse too far in front of the cart. That's just the way that, the way that I'm seeing it. The other two, I'm more skeptical on but it's they're they're different theories of the case dallas mavericks i have many questions about everything how certain <laughs> things have worked and everything else but there is a distinct chance that in the next three years luka Doncic is the best player in the nba and if that becomes the case it's rare that that team is not a championship contender if they're at least marginally competent and I think Dallas can reach that marginal competence. Then the other one, and this is the one where I honestly could have put them in three different tiers. I ended up putting them in the highest of the ones that I considered because why not the Boston Celtics? And yeah. Boston, I still don't know how well run they are. <laughs> like with, with Brad doing the show, they, they generally, I think they've been well owned. Like they're they're willing to spend, but they also ducked the tax this year. I, I still believe in their top level talent, not having an MVP caliber player, but just having a lot of really good players and good players that make sense together, even if at times it will make certain other people crazy. And also, I'm intrigued by Derek White there. I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's the, like, he's the piece that makes everything else fit together. But I also don't know that the Celtics needed that. So the theory behind Derek White to me is... Moving forward, there were three different players that you kind of saw as like, okay, they're going to be out there, and one of them is Robert Williams, and you could theoretically, if they're moving away from centers, you could go in a different direction. So it's Jalen and and Tatum. I don't think Derek White is the third best player on this team, moving like like in a championship version of them, but I think he's could be fourth or fifth, and having that locked in is actually really useful. Because you can do all these other things. The war chest is not what Danny Ainge had earlier on. And they did give up Romeo Langford, who I don't love in the deal. But there have been teams that were like this that kind of got into the mix. I think of them more like I think of them more as being a team that makes the top that makes the final four a couple of times rather than actually wins the damn thing. Right. But I can see it. I've got them in this this fourth tier, and I think there's two competing concepts, which is uh, they're the opposite of the Grizzlies in that under the hood, you go like, this seems really good. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you look at the at, under the hood, you're like, this seems really good in almost all the major categories. What is it? Why is their record the way it is? And then you go, oh, they're one of the worst clutch teams in the league. Like, they just fall apart. And you can probably fix that. I think White, it's weird because White's clutch stuff doesn't translate and the Spurs haven't been good in the clutch. So there's all these kind of like, is he really going to help that? But conceptually, I think just having another ball handler that can settle the floor is going to do a world of good for them. I think so too. Um, I think one reason that you have to kind of that I, I I have downgraded them a little bit to this tier four is the report from Steve Bulpit that Jalen may want out. 
at some point. And for the, me, yeah, that there's like there's a ticking clock here for sure. Yeah, because I, I just think that that radically changes kind of the equation, right? Like, do I think Tatum can get there? Like, we've all been waiting for Tatum to get there. Like, we've all been waiting for Tatum to make that leap and be like, holy, sh-. like Tatum is one of the best, like five best guys in the league. You know, elite defender could score from three levels, all these type of things. He just hasn't gotten there. And Jalen on the surface seems like such a great fit next to him as a complimentary. I've just repeatedly argued that they need a point guard. And the Celtics fans have obviously like rebuffed that and been like, no, it's Marcus Smart. And I'm like, look, guys, I like Marcus Smart. I love Marcus Smart. I think what he does is great. I don't think he gives you what you need. They, I think got, they, it, yeah, go ahead. you think about how nasty this team could be if they could have somebody who could create advantages for other guys reliably. And yeah. that was the theory behind Kyrie. That was the theory behind Kemba. And neither of those worked out. But my argument would be the reason those failed was not the theory of the case. The reason why those failed was specific things. Yeah, that we're that we're not there, and yeah, you, both of those players are flawed defensively in ways that were harder for them to maintain their defensive theory. But as a practical consideration, the number of guys that do that and are not are like three. I mean, you're not going to get them. I mean, look with with Kyrie before the injury in that in that that 2018 run, they were there. Yeah, you know, and and and, just... and Jalen and Tatum are so much better now than they yeah. were then. And and yeah, that wasn't the same. You know, some of the support the other support players weren't weren't the same, and things shifting around. And I haven't I don't love their young core now in terms of like top five guys on a really good team. I like Grant Williams. I just don't see him as that level no. of player um, yet. And I'd, there are a few players that would delight me more to prove me wrong than Grant Williams becoming that guy because yeah. I like so many things that he does, but it's just hard. Like yeah. it's it's just it's a rare it's a rare thing to do. And the reason that like young players outside of their core really matters is because Boston doesn't have that much of a capacity for improving. They don't you know they they are going to be min, they're going to be limited in their spending power. They don't have the war chest of draft picks anymore. They also their are their young players going to get the opportunity be and grow enough that they could theoretically even if they don't fit with the Celtics go somewhere else and you get somebody who makes sense. Like that's you know that would be a dream for Neesmith or Peyton Pritchard that for whatever reason if they don't fit in with what you're doing that somebody else will give you the guy who does. And I'm not there yet, even though I saw Neesmith have a couple of good summer league games and I'm not quitting on him yet, but I'm still, no, I am not, I'm not going to hitch my, I'm not going to hitch my wagon to him for sure. So it's interesting that you've got this like massive tier two, cause I've got a tier three of Grizzlies Lakers. My tier four has, has some of these teams, but a few others, um, okay. this, this tier four is, and this really, so I, I think the best way to categorize it, that tier two, I said with Sixers, Nets, Jazz, Nuggets, they're missing something. It's not the, the core, like the core, like the most important players, the most important things off the top are there. It's all the margin stuff that I'm worried about. Grizzlies, Lakers, it's more about like just instability of you know youth versus whatever the hell the Lakers are. Um, this tier four, though, is basically like I think that they they are missing one specific major thing. OK, and that's I've got Bulls, I've got Cavs, I've got Celtics and I got the Raptors. Um, if you told me that the Raptors <clears throat> that Masai and this trade deadline was so fascinating, everybody was watching Toronto because they were shopping for a backup big. But there was also like everyone was watching because they were like, is Masai going to buy in to this? Or is he going to like everyone has waited over and over and over again for Masai to finally be like, OK, time to pull the plug. Let's rebuild. I'm going to build something from the ground up. Like he wanted to do it with Denver. Team was too good. He wanted to do it with the Raptors when he traded Rudy Gay. Team was too good. Uh, and now he's back here again. Team is too good for him to scrap it. And so their decision at the deadline not to trade anybody major and instead, instead just to add Thaddeus Young reflects like a, and his comments today as press conference reflect like a, you know, OK, like I think we're we might be there. We just need to 
could make another run for a Kawhi and we could win another one if we go that route. Maybe we are really in a position for multiple. Um, so they're there. Like I said, the Celtics, like you said, one guy to make everything easier for everybody else. The Cavs, I do think it's like if they just got a three that was like an elite shooter, that to me changes the equation dramatically. Or if you could like give them Desmond Bain. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. somebody somebody who didn't do exactly what they need but did enough things well that you could throw everything else at the last guy. That would yeah. feel a lot better too. One other um, just then, quick thing on the Cavs. Yeah. As much as I love Jared Allen, I know you do too. I am dancing around the idea that not this year, not next year, but maybe after that, we'll see where Mobley is that you just think Jared Allen is wonderful, but he might be, we might not need what he does. And instead we could do it a different way. Cause like the idea that Mobley is more of a four or five and maybe you're, maybe you have, maybe you can get a wing that then you can close with Mobley at the five. I don't think that's the path right now, but the possibility, because Jared Allen's a damn good basketball player. Like this is not a criticism of him. It's just the idea. Like I refer to this as the good problem, which is you have too many good players that overlap a little bit. And that's, this might end up eventually being the case with Duarte and Tyrese Halliburton as well, by the way. And um, and then I've got the Bulls here, which is an interesting one. And it's basically um, – what's fascinating about the Bulls is it basically comes down to uh, – nobody really knows Arturis Karnasovas. Like even those of us that covered him here in Denver don't know him. Uh, and I will say that what I know of him, I have a high level of faith in him. He is an exceptionally smart basketball guy. And I think some things have fallen in his lap. Like, I'll just tell you straight up. My belief is that he when he took the job in Chicago, he had his mind on how do I trade Zach Levine for the player that I need? And then six months later, he woke up one day and was like, oh, shit, Zach Levine's the player I need. Um, they are limited with what they have right now. No question. Like this team, I think when, when you look at the impact that Caruso and Ball being out have had and what they look like without them versus what they look like with them there, you can have a lot of I you can settle into like this team is not going to win a title. And I think that that's that was always the, the most likely case. And that's fair. I think uh, as great as DeMar has been still going to have questions about him in playoff series. As good as Vooch, honestly, has been un- – he's been underrated in Orlando, and he's had an up-and-down year in Chicago for a number of reasons. I think he's underrated, but very limited. I still look at Arturis, and he is the one guy that I do feel like <laughs> – here's the advantage. He brought in these guys that have put the Bulls on the map and have made them competitive and raised them up, and yet I know that he will have absolutely zero attachment to them. This is a big advantage, I think, that the Bulls are going to have with Arturis versus some of these other teams. It's a really, really fascinating idea. The idea yeah. that, that you can – that it's not cultivate and keep it's cultivate and do something else because the the reason I didn't have the I have them in in my outside chance but plausible like I have them so it's kind of a tear down I'll explain the difference between the two when we get there is because the passage of time isn't necessarily going to help them as currently constructed. DeRozan 32, Vooch 31, right. Levine, I mean, he's continued to get better, so maybe he just keeps getting better, but the, and maybe Patrick Williams can take a step. Lonzo has, has been, you know, he, he's in a better place this year than before, but it's like, they still need a lot. They're not quite there, but if you were to tell me that there's a chance they sell high, that, that, that Arturis can find these other pieces, if that, if you told, like, basically the idea that he is a top five like a messiah maybe or even step down from messiah level gm then that would that would push them up for me and i feel like he is going to be you know he's gonna be the opposite i think of brad right because like they've just shopped marcus smart so much and never made the move um before brad was gm after brad was gm like they're just attached to their guys and there's so many teams that are just like so they get they're just like the the 
investor value so greatly outweighs the market value to where you, you can objectively say, like, you're overvaluing this guy because of your connection with him. And I just have – this is one of the advantages is that Arturis didn't draft these guys. Arturis didn't – he built a team of free agents and, a, like, acquisitions. Like, Zach was there and they, they – Like, they're kind of they're, – they they're kind of a mercenary team in a very yeah. weird way. And so yeah. that – I I'm so interested in this idea um, that because because that would fundamentally change the way I think about the Bulls. I I was gonna say I hope you're right, but I, I I've enjoyed watching this team and yeah, and I fun. I've been impressed. And the other reason to support like Arturis in this way is that he had a theory of the team. I thought that theory was bad. His he was far more right than I was. So I give more deference in that case. Like when you've been able to do it. And maybe there's some unusual thing and I'm, I've shifted to, it's not going to, I went from, it's not going to work ever to, it's not going to work in the playoffs, but I could very well be wrong on the second part. Like I was on the first part, acknowledge that situation. My tier, I guess it's my tier three. So below that, like jazz Lakers confluence, everything else, I call it foundational pieces. And this is the idea that they're absolutely unequivocally not there yet, but championships are won with the top, top level players. These are the teams that are not in higher tiers that have guys that could potentially, and I don't think any of them are super duper likely to get in that conversation, but could. And there are exactly four teams and you'll, you'll, you'll see the commonality between them very quickly. The Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young, the Timberwolves with Towns and Edwards, the Hornets with Lamelo, and the Pelicans with Zion. Fascinating. It do I? I think their expected value is significantly below the teams in the next tier. A lot of those groups don't have flexibility. The Wolves don't have flexibility. There's a chance Towns isn't even on the team three years from now. The Pelicans are pretty set on what their team is as of now. I like some of what they're doing, but there's that. The Hornets aren't good enough. The Hawks aren't, but. They're also not so screwed, like, oh, we have, like, a billion dollars in bad money. Like, it's just didn't do that. And also, some of the ones that I think are fully run, maybe they will have a different person running it. You know, you have all that circumstance. But the possible, like, so, like, if you want to go back to, like, Nate and I do top prospects, I believe those are the guys that are in my top, my tiers one and two that have not been in anything else. Where it's like, could could Trey Young just, over the next two years, become the best the best offensive player in the league. It's possible. I don't think it's yeah. likely, but it's possible. It's possible. Fun table. Zion, yeah. it, Zion, we don't know if he's even going to be available to play, but is it possible? I mean, the second half of Zion's 2020-21 season, it looked like that was not inevitable, but very likely. And I'm gun shy like anybody else is, but like we need to remember what that was. Yeah. Because I, I, I talked about this a little bit when Nate and I did prospects. There is a distinct chance that some really, really, really good players, like I will say Cade Cunningham, even potentially you could argue Trey Young, will never be as dominant, be as good for a half-season stretch as Zion was for that in his, like, whatever, age 20 or 21 season, whatever the hell that was. Like, it was so ridiculous. Yeah, it was just absurd. And so I generally will bet on that to happen again if the player's already done it and they're young. And, I mean, I'm worried, and there are a bunch of different reasons why. And it might be, I hope it happens with the Pelicans. I hope it happens, period. Possibility it's not with them. Like, you have all that kind of stuff. But that... I'm going to bet on like, if I'm throwing if I'm throwing deep futures or something like that, I'm going to do it on the teams that either have those guys or that I think have a clear way to get them. And considering I don't know this draft yet and I definitely don't know the next draft yet, I can't I can't evaluate that. You know, I don't know. Is Paulo Boncaro that guy? Is Jabari Smith that guy? 
I don't know yet. If I felt more confident in it, maybe I would do that. But also, flattened lottery odds make me feel less good about it. So I think the Raptors, I think the Bulls are significantly better teams now. I think if I were to pick who's going to win more games over the next three years, it wouldn't even be a question. Yeah. But the other fundamental challenge, and this is the Bulls are a great example of this because you think there's a path here, and I, I think you might be right, is I've articulated this a bunch of different ways, but I, I think I want to now call it the Sacramento Kings problem, which is you reach a point when you are too good or too six, like where you win too many games to get the guy if you don't have the guy. Yeah. And that is kind of, so that is kind of my fear with the Raptors. Masai Ujiri is the best general manager in the league. So maybe he can manufacture that a different way because they can, they already got, they already got that guy once. And it's extremely rare that that happens. Daryl Morey has done it once. They didn't win a championship, but James Harden was that guy. Masai did it once. And there aren't, I mean, you could argue in different ways. LeBron is very complicated. I think you could argue that Pat Riley did it, but it doesn't happen much. Yeah. And so the path for the Raptors, as good as they are, to get to that point is hard. Like, and they have some young guys. I, I, I love watching this team at times. Sometimes the offense gets a little bit grindy. They have like they're just collecting guys I really like. Like Gary Trent was one of those guys for yeah. me. OG Ananobi has been that guy since the first time I saw him in Indiana. Pascal Siakam, I waver a little bit. Van Vliet is is obviously in that camp as well. Somebody who has maximized the things that he does well and has minimized some of the things that he did poorly. But there is often a ceiling on that. And what's interesting, I think, is I think the Gary Tread thing actually matters a lot here. Because if you're looking at it and you're like, we like all these players, there are so many dudes on this team that if they find another team that's in a spot like the Spurs were, where they have, they are just going to lose the star player. They're going to lose an elite guy. There's nothing that can be done. There's been a fracture. That Those teams are going to look at what Toronto has and go like, okay, wait, wait, wait. So you'll give us Scotty, like, okay, if we have to lose him, but we can get Scotty Barnes back? Or, like, I know it sounds ridiculous based on where he's at, but, like, if you're listening to this, go look at, at Gary Trent Jr numbers over the last month go look at what he's doing night in and night out offensively and if you're able to look at those kind of things and go okay if we can get this guy and picks this is probably the best that we're going to do right we don't have leverage Masai's willing to give us actually good players and picks versus trying to extort us because of agent things um that that to me opens up a path um I do want to go back to something, by sure. the way, because we you you mentioned this team above, and I have them so far below that we have to mention it. Um, one, two, three, four. Tier five is one team. Tier five below the Bulls, Cavs, Celtics, Raptors. I have the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, look, here's my problem. Luka Doncic absolutely can be the best player in the league. Luka Doncic does not play selfish basketball. Uh, Luka Doncic is an extremely fun player. Luka Doncic, I don't think, is that terrible of a defender. He's not as bad as Trey Young. For sure. I still, for the life of me, do not watch them and ever go like, and this may be, honestly, this may be the thing. The Mavericks role players may be worse than they look and only look competent because because Luka's so good, he makes them look that way. Uh-huh. So, That's my operating theory. Yeah. Little bit of contrasting evidence with the, with when they've how they've been okay when he's been out, but overall, like, you can get there. I do think this deadline, as much as, like, I'm not a KP guy, I think this, like, I don't, this is what's baffling to me. They traded Chris Porzingis, which if you told me, like, the Mavs are going to trade Chris Porzingis, I've been like, ooh, I want to buy Mavs stock. What'd they get? But then you look at what they did, and you're like, huh. And then on top of it, here's the big kicker for me. They traded one bad contract for two smaller bad contracts. Okay, no problem there. You're looking to, to make moves later. They didn't trade THJ, who they actively looked for. And then they gave DFS... 52 million. 
And I'm like, why are you? And you're going to but and every indication, every indication around the league is that they have told teams they are going to pay Brunson, that he's off the table. They're going to pay him. If that's the case, they're just doubling and tripling down on where they are. And so I'm kind of like, can Luca make these guys even better than he's already made them? Because I don't see a lot of room for improvement. There's nobody you look at and go like, he's going to get way, 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 way better unless it's Brunson. And if he does, he's going to be like, I want my own team, even if he gets the money. That's so. So the Brun- the Brunson piece of this is incredibly important because he's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah. And I, you, you, you do, you do more connections with sources than I do. But there seems there to me, there is a disconnect between the Mavericks confidence that they're bringing him back and my theory of it. And generally speaking, when I see that gap I assume the current team is wrong that is the because Jalen Brunson can want a lot of different things in his next team he could prioritize money he could prioritize opportunity and role he could prioritize the city he wants to live in the team that's shown loyalty there are there are probably 10 to 15 different considerations and all of them matter in differing proportions this is a the first time we've seen Jalen Brunson Jalen Brunson have that choice and also, a lot of those different factors, if he, it's what he prioritizes, do not pull Dallas's direction. Yeah, You can want to, like, this is far more to me extreme than the Jeremy Grant one, yeah. where Jeremy Grant had, you know, he had a very good situation and reportedly got offered basically the same money and he wanted that. The opportunity that Dallas is affording Jalen Brunson is to be a support player on a team that to this point, and you could argue some of the reason for this is because they ran up against the team that was a terrible matchup for them two years in a row. That was then healthy and then immediately got something else. Um, Not that that's the reason the Nuggets beat them. The Nuggets beat them for a bunch of other reasons. But the idea... The idea that why am I why am I going to commit Brunson's 25? Am I going to commit to the remainder of my prime to for this status quo? And he could like that. There is a reasonable reason. There is a justification for it, especially if the Mavericks offer the most money. But if he wants his own team, if he wants yeah, the experience, if he wants a different situation where he potentially sees more upside or even like more upside for him, then he's gone because it's not only the Luca yeah. part of this, but I think they saw Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans as distressed assets and said, we can rehabilitate those, but didn't think about how that could change the way that they, the way that their own players see it. And that's a problem. The other thing I always try and keep in mind here, and I wish GMs would be a little bit more forward thinking with this. They're always like, you know, he wants to be here. He wants to be a part of this. And we believe in Jalen. You know, we, we, we're going to pay him. Like, we believe in this guy and what he's done for us. What they never really think about is like, okay, he wants to be here at his age now. Do you know how many guys like change between 21 and 25 or 23 and 28? Like, how many human beings change? Yeah. It's just like you're going to be a different dude. So, my only thing is, you know, is the like we have a really good player. We want to believe in him. Is that is the better thing there, or is it? Especially if you have Luca and you've been to the playoffs twice and gotten waxed. You know, they could be with the Clippers. Um, if you're there, like, what's the value? It's not that I'm just like make a move to make a move. I think Jalen Brunson's really good, but my, part of my point is, Jalen Brunson is the exact type of asset that you could use right now. To go get a major – if you offer Jalen Brunson and Chris Dapps Porzingis, that takes care of the money side of it and the talent side of it. Now all of a sudden, like, major additions are going to actually start, like, coming on the table. And there weren't a lot this trade deadline. Like, I feel confident in that. There weren't a lot. But it's that they seem so set on committing this way. Well, so and, that's and it's like everything else if, if with you the roster to- and, and just the whole general thing. I cannot put them above some of these other teams. I think that even as great as Luka is – 
I don't. I'll I'll say this. Um, you put five random like average NBA players, not even average, uh, slightly above average NBA players around Nikola Jokic, and you will have a top three seed. Um, you put the same thing around a number of other guys, and they're going to have a top three seed. I don't know the, trade, the same is true for Luca. Why haven't we like look at what Memphis has done this season? And they have so much more talent than Dallas. They really do. Like Jaron's better than anybody else on Dallas. And Jaron's like even like really inconsistent offensively. Desmond is, I think, better than anybody else on Dallas. I, so I get that part of it, but I still look at it and go with Ja. They built like a top three team in the Western Conference. Why have the Mavericks never gotten? If Luca is that level, which I think he is, why haven't they gotten a season where they're just like, man, Dallas is really freaking good. We just haven't seen it. That's fair. I also I will note that since. Not arbitrary starting points and ending points are always nebulous, but I and I didn't pick this date because they had a good game or anything. Since January first, Dallas is third in net rating. Yeah, and so like there maybe maybe but some it's of that of is the happening. defense. Yeah, right. And true. it's like true, true, true. Um, I, I think I I I echo all of that. I'm just I think I'm more on the like star talent can do it kind of kind of part of it. But the sure. other real frustration for me with trading trading Porzingis for what they did is. This is actually the really, like, the. I mean, we'll talk about the decisions that Daryl Morey has made around Ben Simmons to the Cows come on, but one part of it that I think he got really right is when a team is pretty locked in, there aren't that many ways to add the, the key players. There are lots of ways to add support guys. You know, you can get your PJ Tuckers, you can get your six men, lots of different ways. You could be an expiring deal, you know, you could pull a Thaddeus Young. That sort of thing can, you can, those deals can happen. But once it's team is pretty locked in salary wise and you don't have like these blue chip draft assets or something else it's really hard to move somebody to the like number two or number three in the pecking order and one of my biggest frustrations as much as i'd been beating the drum is for spencer dinwiddie's fit with the mavericks that fit was with christoph porzingis there too and so what i think they did is davis bertans was a distressed asset but his probably his best case scenario is and this is ridiculous best case scenario is like flawed fifth starter that probably doesn't close games because he's so bad defensively and you need the three-pointer to be what it was at the best point which is how the Wizards paid him and then with Dinwiddie I like him but it's a real challenge in terms of where does he you know so especially on a Luka team in some ways if let's say let's say you transported two years from now and Dallas is a championship level team and Dinwiddie's on the team my instinct is that he's their probably their fourth best player maybe maybe third and so how the hell do they get the second best player and the answer is I don't know and so to me that's how like that was the theory that Maury had with the Ben Simmons trade was we have to get somebody who can be that guy and while I'm not completely sold on James Harden being that guy there's at least a chance yeah and Dinwiddie as much as I like him and appreciate him and think he's been underrated over the last three years isn't that guy yeah yeah and that's on top of the chemistry concerns and oh yeah and yeah here's the thing i don't think the wizards won that trade that's what's crazy is I think the Mavericks, I think the Mavericks lost that trade, and it, it's a great, it's a great reminder that there aren't winners and losers of trades. Like you can have a yeah. lose lose, you can have a win win. All these different things are possible. I wonder about it from Washington's perspective. I, it, it's bizarre that they sold low on two different players at exactly the same time, but I also think they did well. But I don't. I, I there has been no team that has zigged where I thought that they should zag more over the last three years than the Washington Wizards, and that's partially because of Ted. It's partially because of Tommy Shepard sees Tommy Shepard sees basketball players fundamentally differently than I do in a way that nobody else does. You know, I think here, here's my perception on Tommy Shepard. 
Um, I was talking to somebody about, about this the other day. I, I really just think that I think that there's there's a real capability for him to be successful. I also think the thing that's keeping him away from being able to do something pretty great is Beal. And Beal. it's not that Brad's not a good player. It's just the best thing for Shepard would be to be given the opportunity to be like, hey, it's time. Brad wants out. We're, you're, you're not going to get fired. Like, I'm giving you two years to reshape the roster. I want to win. I don't want to tank. You need to trade Brad, but you need to be able to build something. That opens up an opportunity to actually build because he did so well with the Rust trade that even when you look at this team and there's they've been they've been bad, they're not so bad that I'm just like, oh, this is a train wreck. They're a disaster. They're just like not good enough night to night. And so much of that is like Brad hasn't been available, or when Brad's played, he hasn't been good. And a lot of that was also like they gave a lot of money to Davis Bertans, and Bertans has been trash. So like those combinations of factors. I think put Shepard up against the wall. So now it's like, all right, look, you need to try and find somebody that's willing to take a chance on K- on KP before the, val- the the bottom drops out with the injury concerns. And you need to be able to find a suitable, like you need to get back a good package for Brad to set us up to be able to be competitive. I think that, that he could build a pretty good team. Championship? Probably not. But maybe the moves get you within a range to where you can make two more. And then down the line, like that's the whole goal. And that to me is the problem is that they are they are just like they're they're very hamstrung with the fact that Bradley Beal hasn't asked out and they Beal are. not like asking out means they st- keep having it's, to try. And it's keep- feeding it. The Bradley Beal thing, it's the parallel of keeping a player on your roster that the coach is going to play, even if it's not who the general ma- manager wants him to play. It's the exact same thing of like it. It feeds the impulses and it's not of Tommy Shepard. It's of Ted Leonsis like that. Yeah. But like, oh, you have a, an obviously good player who wants to stick around and can keep us probably in this area. Hell yeah. Like, why? Why would we why would we break apart from that? And it's, but I'm going to give you two names. So I I understand the theory of what you said, but I'm going to give you two names that give me real pause at different levels of the game. And he's made some moves on the margins Shepard has that I really like. Daniel Gafford is prominent among them. Number one is Jerome Robinson. And number two is Rui Hachimura. Mm -hmm. One of those was a very small move. And one of those was a pretty big move that I just straight up said, this makes no sense to me. Like yeah. Robinson, yes, he was drafted in the lottery. That was a mistake in the first place. Like there, I have, I watched a lot of him because he played, you know, like the Clippers and the G League and everything else like that. And I never once thought there is a good player in here that is being that is being shackled by everything that's going on. And Shepard felt differently, gave him a chance, had that he had that weird guaranteed year. And then Hachimura, more in the line of player where it's just like he physically talented like you know there was there's there but i just i i didn't think there was even you know like if you want to like say that the the weirdness with him this year is anomalous and that you couldn't have seen that coming you know that's more markel fultzy than it is caleb swanigany there still wasn't a theory for me and they t- and the players that went after Hashimura are not like killing it. You know, Hero's doing a nice job. Like PJ Washington and Hero and Cam Johnson and Cam, like even to a maybe a lesser extent, Cam Reddish are all like I like them better than Rui right now. But it's not like you took Jalen Smith over Tyrese Halliburton. Right. But it's still like him. You know, it's the it's the anvil of draft picks. Her like that. That's the that's how I felt at the time. That's how I feel now. So. As we move kind of down the list, um, I've got Wolves and Hawks right below the Mavericks. Okay, I'm fine with that. And then in a tier below, I've got Pelicans, Kings, Hornets. 
like I don't know what to do with the Pelicans. You kind of mentioned this, like, <laughs> like the thing with the Zion. Like it's like we have Zion, but I'm like, yeah, if Zion's healthy and if Zion doesn't completely try and bail on the franchise in one of the most unprecedented moves for a rookie, a guy on a rookie contract ever, um, or or bails but, in the other way, which is like the more the more current NBA, which is signs the deal and then says I also want to leave, like a year yeah, a year after. Yeah, so that one's there. Um, I've got the Kings in that spot just because. Like, I was so confused by the direction. And then, you know, they had that game the other night, and everyone's like, oh, but they look so good. And I'm like, well, of course they did. They got some bonus. It's just like, even if they're better, like, congrats. You beat the Wolves on a back-to-back in a duplex set at home. Uh, they're It's like they're 21 and 35, you know? And so it's like trying to see, like, how they get from there to a championship in three years. It's just like, uh, unless De'Aaron just, like, uh, unless De'Aaron or Davion becomes a top 10 player in the next two years. Don't see that happening. Um can't really visualize it. I'm lower on the Hornets. I just, I don't, LaMelo's really fun. And that that's that sounds like patronizing and insulting, like a backhand compliment. And I don't mean it to be, I just am still not, I'm not entirely sold that he is like, let me put it this way. I think the gap between John Morant and LaMelo Ball is significant. It's like very significant. And so I don't know, like, I look at this Hornets team and I'm just like, what? what's the pat? Like, who? Who is, you know, they got, they've gotten such an incredible year from Bridges. Such an incredible leap. And they're still kind of like, meh. So I, I just don't know what, the Pelicans, Kings, and Hornets, I'm just kind of like, sure, if you want to believe. But I can't like, I think even getting them to be like serious threats is a lot for me to kind of buy into. Totally fair. Um, so I'll walk through. So I had that foundational pieces. Then my tier four was, I said, outside chance but plausible. That's just two teams, the Raptors and the Bulls. Yeah. Then I have a, a brief tier five, which I just call, hmm. And the real separation is tier five versus tier six. Like I thought these teams, they aren't at the level of the other ones now. But let's say in a couple of years, could they be in a fundamentally different place? That is four teams in no particular order. The Pacers the Thunder, the Pistons, and the Rockets. The the Pacers, because they're better right now than I think those teams are, and like maybe the Miles Turner, like when they get all their guys back, like it just fits together a little bit better. And all their guys, how does that include TJ Warren? I have no damn idea. Um, you have all those challenges. The Thunder actually are in a weirder place than some think because yes, they have all this like cap space, floor space right now, but they're actually, I project them to be over the cap next year. So huh. they're, because they also have a billion draft picks. And so they they could do other things from that, which is such a weird circumstance that that's how it's going to be. And then the Pistons and Rockets, it's not only do they have some high picks this year that may that may work, but also they're going to be they're going to be getting more of them very very soon. But the reason why they're not any higher is a I'm not sold on Jalen Green. Kay Cunningham might work himself into that conversation. He's been so much better than he was at the beginning of the year. And the other practical consideration though is that let's say either of those teams drafts the player who we know two years from now as the best player in that class they're still not going to be good enough to be that guy in all likelihood. Right. Like that's just not the way that's not the way the NBA works. It is exceedingly unlikely that a first or second year player will be the best player on a really good team. Like that's just not the way it really works. Right. But I have them over tier six, which I call don't see it. And the re the most of these teams actually are significantly better than the bottom, which is actually a big part of their problem, which is they don't have that top level talent individually or collectively and probably cap space, but also like draft equity, they don't really have a way to get there. And so this group for me, the magic are the hardest here because they have some guy. I, I, you know, I've been on the Jonathan Isaac bandwagon forever, but like, and they have Suggs and Cole Anthony, but it's like, they're not quite there yet. And then maybe, maybe 
Smith or Boncaro or Chet Holmgren is that guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but then the other ones I think are, so like the Magic were the hardest to place in this tier. But for me, the other ones were fairly easy to place. And that's the Kings, the Wizards, the Blazers, the Knicks, and the Spurs. Where not all of those teams are poorly run. Not all of those teams are terrible. But they're not quite at that place where like they don't have a LaMelo. They don't have a Trey Young. They don't have even probably a Tyrese Halliburton right now. And like the Kings are better than the Pacers probably but they're not better with options and so that's why i have them there the thunder are really interesting to me just in terms of like look they you know how how close can they get in three years um I mean, just, where, how, what, what is your instinct on Shea? Like, is your like? I think of him as a very good player that probably won't be the best player on a championship caliber team. Right? No, I think. But if you told me that he was the second or third, I would be like, yeah, it tracks. My problem is like the timeline. That's just the that's the issue. It's just like Shea's going to get to a point where he's like, okay, I've made the money, but I've been in OKC for four years or whatever, and lost every year. I'm ready to go, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think OKC is prepared for that too. Like, this is what I've been trying to tell everyone is. Like, there's just been this, like, well, what are you going to do? Because you whisked out on this. And it's just like, look, OKC is prepared to, to go, like, deep. Like, they are they are ready to lose until 2025. And what's been interesting is, like, this year they've kind of perfected it, where they are just competitive. You watch them and you're like, this team knows what it's doing. Like, they and Dagnall's a good coach. Like, they know, yeah, but he's really good. And they have, they're good all the way through. Their G League coach is good. They're, like, their approach to everything, this is Presty, like, their approach to every single detail is really, really good. And they built a team that I've kind of described as like, if they get like, let's say that Jabari is the number one guy, like say that he's like the guy, he's the best player in the draft, regardless of where they draft him. Like say that he's the best player in this draft. He's the foundational transcendent guy. If they get him and they could just basically get him and then start pivoting assets and being like, all right, we need shooting. And then we want to see where we're at. Like they can accelerate very quickly. But the problem is just like Jabari's like the the picks are still not going to be ready to win for two, three years. This has been one of the weird things that's I think difficult is the expectation to win with these rookies has gotten so intense. It It used to be, it really did used to be like LeBron missed the playoffs his first year. Like it really did used to be like, Hey, you know, you're going to lose in the league for, for two years because you're still learning how to play in the NBA. And now it's like, how do you build a championship team around a 22 year old? And it's like, that's a lot to ask for a number of reasons. Um, but I do think that Thunder can pivot very quickly. Like I've, I eventually, I'll just say like, I I see them eventually getting, getting a good enough draft core with Giddy, whoever they get this year. And then maybe one other lottery pick trading Shea and then getting either a young piece. That's like, that's really going to fit with them or a pick that they use a la like what they did with when they were the, the Sonics. Like I could see them making those moves. Like I, I believe in the Thunder's upward trajectory a lot more than I believe in the magic, the rocket, honestly the kings at this point the wizards even indiana is a little bit different because indiana is like this is what's always kind of driven me crazy is like indiana's built so many really good teams over the last 20 years they had a team that could have like they had a team that could have won the title in the late 90s they had a team that could have won the title in the mid 2000s they had a team that could have won the title uh 2013-14 and it's just like herb simon doesn't tank but he does he does wind up putting guys in position to build good teams they've they've also generally been pretty well run they've generally been pretty well coached now there's there's certain weird stuff right where sabonis talks about like i just wanted to be wanted or whatever right like that's weird where the and paul george has made some more comments it's like what's going on there in indiana they wind up feeling that way i I think that might that might be as a like kind of for something else though like i i I wanted but it'll be interesting because we'll see how happy sabonis is in sacramento like indiana is 
certain things to certain people. But I wonder, I, I, Paul George is diff- very different from Sabotis. And it, it, you bringing the parallel between their comments is very interesting. Yeah, I think we've done it. I think we've ran yeah. through. I think we've gotten given a really good look at how at, at, I like doing this multi-year thing. We haven't done this before and it's really been good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. There are many ways that you can connect with his excellent work for the Action Network, but also for podcasting, Locked on NBA, Locked on Nuggets. And if somehow you don't already, you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Love having him on. Love where our conversations go. And I was surprised at how much we agreed on this because when once we got the topic, we, you know, we never, he gives the criteria and then we don't talk about it until it's on the air. And I thought we would have more disagreements of opinion at the top. We didn't agree there, or we didn't disagree there. We disagreed more in the bottom, but really loved the conversation as I always do. If you want to support the podcast, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. Those are the best things to do for this show and any other that you really like. Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week, so subscribing is the way that it will pop into your player. You don't have to see a tweet from me or anything else like that. But you can also spread the word, and that can be word of mouth. That can also be leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player of your choice. All of that is much appreciated. I will also note at this point, I, my deep apologies to Stefan. No, there was a there was an upload issue. It, w- it was funny. So like his episode came out last week, and Popped into Apple Podcasts immediately, but as the feed was migrating from Podcast One to CLNS, Real GM Radio's current home, it appears that it kind of got fragmented a little bit. So some people, the reason I didn't promote it as aggressively is not because it's a bad episode. It's a great one. I, I loved having Stefan on, but because it wasn't in everybody's player. And so I didn't want to say, hey, get this, and it wasn't available. And I, I usually use my own phone as a proxy, and it only popped in a couple days ago. So I will put some tweets out about that. But if you haven't listened to it, it's on the Bulls and on his new series of pieces for the sporting news. I hope you really enjoy that as well. You can also check out my other work. Nate and I are doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Did a super long in-depth on the trade deadline and all the other deals, of course, and then we'll be going, taking a little bit of a hiatus for All-Star, which is what we often do to actually recharge and everything else, but, you know, we'll be, we'll be back soon enough. And then written work at The Athletic, and we do the stuff on Twitter spaces. So a lot of different things going on. Hope you enjoy all of that. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I don't promise that I'll respond. I try. I'm not the greatest at it, especially when things are really hectic as they have been recently, but I will read it. And that that is why I tell you exactly what I'm going to do and I do it. But that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.